Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. And welcome to my favorite time of the week. Um, and I just want to give a brief introduction to Colonel Gary Hearn, who is the Strategy and Plans Director at the UK Defense Academy. And a little bit of an explanation of Gary, because uh, I've known Gary for, for many years, and we've been lucky to have him on this series before, um, a few months ago, but also he's done a review of a number of the podcasts that we've done. Gary, by his own admission, drifted into leadership, and yet 40 years later, he was awarded the OBE in 2012 for innovation and leadership, a topic we'll talk about later on. He's led teams of between three and 1,200 people. He recently mentored leadership to a generation of Army officers and is currently designing the future strategy for Army education. He's seeking new activities shortly, having had fun with purpose in the Army all these years, and he's now raring to go in the next phase of his life. Gary studied leaders for many years and learning to retain the nature of leadership, but adapt and approach it to the context, a lesson for today and particularly, he feels, for COVID-19. Gary also believes we over-concentrate on the leader and don't spend enough time on the ecosystem of the leadership, the difference between the puppet master and the gardener, the, the person who cultivates the right ecosystem. I feel this is manifest in the tensions around control that we've got going on with COVID-19, which he's experienced personally. Moreover, he feels there's linkages between what needs to occur in COVID-19 and the emerging impact of artificial intelligence on leaders and on leadership. He's long held a view, we should turn the organizational diagram upside down and always think of the impact of our own decisions on the individual, lest we end up with huge dislocation of expectation. Gary, welcome, lovely to have you on the series again. Brilliant. Jonathan, Ben, uh, thank you very much for bringing me on. Um, it's a real pleasure. And I hope that you know people who are listening get something out of it and can throw some questions as we go along or whatever. But um, what a, what an introduction, Jonathan. Um, I'm slightly embarrassed, actually. So, <laughs> well, look, talk, talk, about think, what you're doing. talk about what you're doing at the moment with, with the... Uh, OK. The yeah, so um, if, I, if I run back about five years, uh, starting five years ago, I was involved with uh, training and developing our future army and Royal Marine leaders, actually, the, those who are going to go on and do something within those forces. Uh, strategy, leadership, um, context, what's going on in the world. And more latterly, I've been designing the, the next steps, where we're going to go, how do we want our education to look? But I think more important, less so the education, but how do we want leaders to think? How do we want them to get into that creative space that gives us a difference? Um, in many respects, the military is no different to the commercial sector where you've seen, uh, I hate the word actually, disruptors changing industries. They surprise people, they surprise the industry. That's a, that's a facet, that's an outcome that we seek in the military. So how do you get your people to think in that way? Um, that, that's part of the change dynamic that we're going through at the moment. Mm. How do we get people to be creative? How do we get the next Mulberry Harbour? How do mm. we get a Hobart tank? Those things that you never even think of. Mm. 
Yeah, and, and it's very interesting. I mean, Gary, I, I've always admired the fact that you began life as a private soldier. You um, finishing your career, a very successful career as a full colonel. You, you served in the Falklands War. You were with the, the, I believe, one of the corporals on the Royal Signals Rear Link Detachment with the Welsh Guards and saw the harrowing and horrendous things when the ship that many of them, were, your colleagues were on board, got hit. Uh, you were also in Kosovo, keeping the peace during that time, and you've done other tours in Northern Ireland, things like that. But you've seen many different crises, and you've seen people in war, you've been seen people killed and death and destruction. Um, we've got, as you have said to us before, a unique situation here with COVID-19. But what's your views and advice on dealing with a crisis, which listeners might find they can discuss and talk about? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I've got no monopoly on the answers to this, and I'd, I'd be surprised if anybody does. But I think there are two two strands to it. One is one's the enduring piece of leadership. Um, we we tend to call it the nature of things in in the military space, but there are things, regardless of the situation, that endure, and those are the things that engender trust. That's that fairness, the transparency, the authenticity, those characteristics you display as a leader. Um, that's the nature regardless of any sort of environment i think the second part to it is recognizing the context changes so the context stay in the falkland island is significantly different to the context that's going on in covid19 so how do you adapt to the context and i think that's important you mentioned uh, previously jonathan that you run a, a series of many leaders um, in a podcast and i looked at those 40 people and consistently, they came out with this point as you have to adapt your leadership style to the context. And I think sometimes there's this tension in us that says, I've got to be authentic and therefore I can't adapt. That's not the case. You're authentic in terms of the approaches you have, that, as I said, engender trust. But you have to adapt your, con your approach to the context. Um, and I think one thing that we do try to do in the military and i know it happens in many commercial organizations that empower to give people the freedom to do things and in the covid19 thing i just wonder whether we're in a stage of really looking at it and saying who's best place to make the decisions who has the knowledge and if this is so unique it isn't necessarily the people at the top end of an organization there are other people who've got an idea so how do we open it up so those ideas can come to the fore and we can harness the whole gambit of different views and diversity to come out right. with the best solution. Yeah. Um, I sort of waffled around the point of the, the, no, the no. Falklands there, but I think yeah, it's that context, the nature, keep going, keep being yourself, keep doing the trusting things, but the context, be prepared to adjust, be prepared to do things differently. Yeah, uh, I like that. And, and we were talking earlier about inspiring leaders in a crisis or dealing with turning things around. And I think you, you were going to give us the, the one you like, which was, am I right, Jürgen Klopp? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit about why you think he's an inspired leader and what, what you think he's done uh, so smartly. I pick, pick Jürgen Klopp because those who know me, I love, I love sport and I love football in particular. But um, So it fascinates me. The, the similarity between sport and motivation in a leader and getting people going. And if you look at what he's been through many times he's come second or close to winning but he keeps going he has that um desire that drive to keep winning. he has purpose and he sets that purpose out to the organizations i think he's been at mainz a small club in germany dortmund liverpool 
And then each time when you read about it, what he does is he recognises, he doesn't use the term ecosystem, and none of us necessarily work with our people. It's one of those weird terms that you use. But he seems to get it. He talks to the, um, the dinner lady. He talks to the physio. He knows their names. He recognises that each part comes together to create that system that wins, that actually gets through and wins. And I think the other part, this business about coming second is, is reckon there's there's no buses, there's no taxis there when you're a leader. You've just got to keep going. You can't jump on a bus and short circuit. You've got to do that hard graft. Now, that bus may take you to where you want it to, but you've got to learn, you've got to experience things as you go forward. And I think, to me, that sort of links into the business of, I'm not saying that those with experience are the best leaders. What I'm saying is the experience does add to it. And how do we then give it to younger people who want to be entrepreneurs and who want to be early leaders how do we pass that on? How do we have a system that mentors them into that space? Learn from our mistakes. Yeah. There have been many. Yeah, and, and mentoring has been a very big thing for you for some years now, and also coaching, you're, you're a very experienced coach. Um, uh, what, what have you found when, you know, in the mentoring coaching when you've been with different teams? What, what what's, makes a team stand out in handling a crisis? And, and would you give an example of a team? Oh, um, yeah, that's that's really, really fascinating. Um, I think purpose is really important. Having that shared purpose of what we what are we trying to do? I've got an example at the moment where um, I work with a high what we, what most people call high performance, high potential people. So there's that dynamic, that creativity that's always there. And by giving people a purpose, the intent of what we're trying to do and letting them go letting them have their head to get on and do it the, the results invariably uh, outperform anything that you know certainly in my mind anything i'd ever anticipate getting towards they constantly achieve when you you let them go you let them have that control to get on the thing um and i as you say i work at the united kingdom defense academy we've gone from broadly a residential approach to delivering education to a virtual approach in 15 days mm. because People were given the intent. There you go. There's some resources. Let's see if we can make it happen. And they make it happen because they're, they're positive, they're motivated, they have that desire to achieve. So, and if you link that to purpose, it, it goes massively. Yeah. And staying with that, Gary, picking up on that, I, I'm finding with the different leaders and teams that I'm coaching at the moment virtually that their engagement scores have gone through the roof in many of the organizations because they've got a very clear burning purpose during yeah. COVID-19 to take it from being in factories or all the place to having to get things the next day, you know, working from home and, and, and getting through this crisis. And it's, yeah. it's given a rather wishy-washy um, uh, background, sorry, I was just thrown off like Gary used to be Liverpool, um, to a sense of clear sense of purpose. So, um, okay, yeah. that's grand. What about, you, you've been in some really tough situations and military humor is known to be pretty grim and also sort of um, pick, picks up a very difficult situation and makes light of things when everybody's exhausted, run down and the pressure's on. How about a couple of stories of amusing situations in the middle of some of the conflicts and crises you've been in? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that, that, can we mute as we cruise? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be careful. I'll be very careful. Um, let me try and throw a couple in. Ooh. Yeah, that, many years ago, 
in Germany or on an exercise um, and one of my soldiers is on top of a vehicle and they have a sort of meshy uh, fit to the top of the vehicle. Uh, he jumped off the vehicle and unfortunately Corporal Titheridge caught his finger in the mesh and this is horrific, but his finger came off and there was blood spurt. He landed next to me, he's standing next to me, there's blood pouring off his hand and his mucker comes around the corner and immediately says, well, sir, sir, Corporal Titheridge will be pointing the finger, finger at you on this one, sir. Oh, God. And you're just standing there thinking, maybe call a doctor? No, let's, <laughs> let's have some humour. Um, there is a... An apocryphal story from the Falklands of a friend. It was a friend of mine who was on the Galahad. Uh, we'd already got off the night before and very, very sad, as we all know. Um, but you may have seen the pictures of people being rescued by helicopter and by boats. So those, those people were brought ashore. The, the, those who weren't injured were put into a field that was like a pen to keep them into one place. Um, and my, my friend, he was actually my best man in the end, was telling me that he was in the pen and uh, you may have seen the pictures of a helicopter with a guy in a bright orange immersion suit being carried off back to this pen. What you don't see is as he's been landed in the pen and the herd mentality, he wants to go and group, join the group. He's running towards the group and the group are running away from him around the field because he's got a bright orange immersion suit on and they don't want him anywhere near them. Um, so, you know, those sort of things, it's hugely important to have humour during tense environments. It's not belittling the environment, but it just takes that that peak of tension out. It just pulls it out and people just come back down and go, got it. That's reality. That's the level we're at. We're all going off in spikes of tension, but we're now back into the space together. So I think using humour at the right point is, is really important and it does have an effect. And yeah. it also shows, quite often shows that you're not panicking. I've got a level. I've got a. I've got a point here. I know where I am. I, you know, I'm stable, um, and people then congregate around that stability. Grand. That's good. And so, before I hand over to you, uh, to Ben, for some uh, quickfire questions and just checking on questions from the audience, uh, what would be your uh, your current top tip you'd give to people practically about being a good leader, good inspiring leader? You mentioned one at the beginning. Um, Turn your organization chart upside down and uh, one, you place yourself if you're at the top of the organization at the bottom. And it's a public um, reflection of your own views that you're there to serve others. And I was listening to Peter Drucker actually the other day uh, and he said servant leadership trumps everything. Um, well, I wouldn't want to uh, contradict Peter Drucker, but um, I think the context change, you need to adjust as I mentioned before, but I think he's got a real point there. So if you turn the organogram upside down and you put the people who deliver at the top end, you really see where you need to focus your efforts. Um, I, I came across it when I was in an organization staring at my organogram when I was at the top and I realized that if I wasn't in work for a month, would anything change? Not really. We'd set the tone. Would the next layer change? They could probably go about three weeks without them. If I took away the people who actually did the job, the organization completely failed that day. Um, and it gives you that focus on the importance of individuals wherever they are in the organization. It also links into that ecosystem. Oh. I think, or to say the other one, everybody's got potential all of the time. I've benefited from it massively. I had people who looked to release my potential when I didn't even know I had the potential. Um, and I think that's really important. And it's all of the time. we. 
we link things to age 16, age 18, and points in time, as though if you haven't made it at that point, it's that's it, finished. So that's rubbish. People develop all the time. And if we help them develop and we recognize that, it doesn't matter whether you're 68 or 18 or 26, just you've got potential, let's help you develop. But it sometimes needs leaders to reach in and unlock it for us. Ben, over to you. Thank you, Gary. Fantastic. Gary, Hi, love it. And, and um, really agree with uh, so much of the philosophy behind uh, behind your style of leadership. Um, and it seems to sort of boil down to a, a real ability to trust the people around you and um, and trust um, them so they can be confident to have input um, and you can continue to get some really good knowledge transfer and learn, learn all the time. Um, Probably one of the things that I'm getting from from people I've worked with and clients um, that this this crisis has really changed um, the way people work together and, and made almost like a trust revolution because they're all working from home. How are you managing them when they're working from home? How have you so how do you sort of relinquish the reins a little bit and, and have that that trust? Really great, uh, Ben. And I think we've I suspect many people who are listening will have the same experience that when we first moved into this virtual environment when people were working from home there were i i found an interesting dynamic that actually you had to be far clearer in giving intent and direction than ever before um mm. there was no opportunity there were leaving things loose was really difficult um people just couldn't understand the nuances so in a way you pulled the control inwards to start with and then you had to deal with people individually because that group dynamic that was there in the past when we were residential and we're all together and you've got 10 people and two disagree well the herd mentality pulls the other two with it in this mm. virtual dispersed space you have to go and work with those individuals and pull them along yourself so i think there's that dynamic of um uh, that's at the start but interestingly i found that what happens then is once you've released the intent and people have got it, they have far, far more freedom and they are more trusted and they get off in many respects. What, what it We've lost you, Gary. Oh, we've lost you. Okay. Hello, Gary. This is Bravo 2-0 over. Uh, <laughs> be, well, <laughs> I'm afraid that's a, that's a habit I'm not going to get out of. I'm known as waving my arms around, <laughs> so I've just, I've just wellied the microphone as we were talking. <laughs> Um, nice. So I think I think what we certainly I've seen is we've that spectrum of control through to freedom has actually uh, expanded. We've pulled the cursors both ends, first of all, towards control, release the control, and it's wanged right down the other end and people just get on with things. But I think the yeah. other important thing, Ben, is this business of not letting your people go just because they disappeared mm -hmm. onto a virtual system trying to find that time to actually connect with them and just talk to them and chat with them. And I, I've had a yeah. number of people, actually it's a reflection of not doing what I've just said, where they just phoned me up and had a chat for 30 minutes or 40 minutes on a virtual yeah. connection because yeah. we're people. We want to connect with each other. Yeah, so important. While we're waiting for people to ask questions, we often just do this um, section where we ask you some quick fire questions about some of the habits that you have and that make you successful. So we have three buckets, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, and we'll jump straight into that while we're waiting for people to, to ask questions. So first up, you've been in 
of really high pressure environments um, and, and in, in positions of leadership, how do you maintain health both mentally and physically um, in, in, in uh, high pressure times? Yeah, I think um, personally, uh, and I'll go back to Jonathan's series, actually, many of the leaders in there had that link of keep healthy in both in spirit, in body and in mind. Um, I, I, I've run all my life and I've played football and I just can't see that as not being part of daily life, even now when we're locked down, as you've got to do some fears, you, you feel different. You, you, the problem that you started the physical effort with suddenly resolves itself when you're doing physical activity. So I think there's that element, but that's the easy part. I think the mental health piece is, is the more difficult part for people. Um, and I suppose in many respects, I've been fortunate. Um, one, in terms of the Falklands War, showed me that what I consider trivia may be detailed to some people, but focus on what's important, and that, that's helped. Second part, I've been I've absolutely benefited from some anchors in life that have been important to me. While my wife and my family have always been there, and they're an anchor, so that, that's been really important in terms of uh mental health uh, i know some other people don't benefit from that and i and i think we need to help people and lead in when that ha that occurs so I, I suppose that would be the health piece ben if that works for you yeah yeah definitely yeah. definitely we've got a, a comment from and, and a question from um angela um patel and um firstly she says she agrees with the authentic leadership is, is exactly what people um need and um the question is do you think that advancement of technology has enabled leaders to connect with teams more during the pandemic? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, do I or not? I can only look from my own circumstances. And I think it's it's changed the dynamic. Some people who are more comfortable in that environment have connected more. And mm -hmm. others who you may see more often in a, in a residential or a physical environment have disappeared a little bit um, because they're more comfortable in that residential space. So I think it may have changed the dynamic uh, more than uh, I think that that's where I'd, I'd leave that. I, I do have a view on AI, actually, in terms of uh, <laughs> where it's impacted on leadership. But um, that's a wider technology piece. Yeah, it's definitely something I think you need to get used to because it's such a different medium that you're right. I think people can get lost a little bit. I mean, if you've yeah. got a screen full of nine people, I think that you have to be mindful as a leader that actually there's probably people you probably should check in with and actually give yeah. them a voice. And it's quite easy to just mute your microphone or, or turn your camera off and disappear into the background um, yeah. using technology. I think we're so sort great, of... Great comment from Angela. Yeah. yeah. And if Angela Thanks, asked, Angela. Yeah. And Angela asked another good question. And Angela, thank you for this. And I see Catherine Bordina as well uh, about the humour. She clearly loves that one. But she's also saying, do you think leaders know how to use the technology and engage teams at the optimum level? What I'm finding now, I don't know whether I can reach over here, um, I tend to use, I'm not quite sure you can see this, but you know, a round table with people's names and photographs on, so everybody gets the chance to speak and you take it in turn. So you know, so who'd like to begin? Let's say, oh, uh, Richard said, I'll begin. Okay, we'll go to Richard's right. And you've all got 30 seconds or a minute, what's working well or what would make us even better? but then everybody speaks and no one speaks over anybody else because you know when your yeah. turn is going to be. Because I have the problem when you've got all these faces around, like, oh, have I caught everybody? No, you know, and you mark it off on your, your printed off sheet and everybody knows their turn. 
Um, so I think I think. Mm. It's, what do you What do you think, Gary? Yeah, I think that's. I've not employed that uh, approach, but it it makes sense. I think what we're finding is we're probably at the stage where we're just about betting into what feels normal. We've gone to the stage where we've all played buzzword bingo or whatever it's called and can you hear me and all that sort of stuff. And then we've gone to a stage where certain people have been quiet and we're sort of easing back to perhaps where where normal sits. But I don't think it's necessarily engaging everybody that we want to engage across the piece. Interestingly, I work in the uh, learning development environment and we're finding that using um, a virtual approach people you wouldn't normally see coming to the fore in a group environment are coming more to the fore because they're more comfortable. Mm. Um, they're not seeing necessarily the body language that upsets and puts people off at times that you can see in a, a, a room full of people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think there's obviously some real learning for managers as well to, to get used to, to managing from a distance and, and dealing with all these these um, new issues that are, that are coming up. Um, got another question from um, Don Don McIntyre. He's um, a regular listener, and um, uh, he's asked, um, "What do you think about three hundred and sixty degree feedback for leaders? Have you done it, and what tips would you have?" Yeah, it's a great question, Don, and it's one that um, many organisations, I think, play around with. Is do you do you bring it in? You can. I've seen three hundred and sixty degree feedback where you provide the feedback that's required. Somebody will tap you up and say, I've got to do 360 degree feedback. Can you give me, can I use you? Well, you're going to give them um, what they require. I think you've got to be absolutely as an organization behind that behavior that I can learn off everybody. And I think it's massively important, even more so as we move into an environment where um, I'll slightly digress on, but I'll use an example of it is, I think I was reading, I think it was Corn Ferry who said that C-suite average age is 56. That means they were born before 2003 when we were, they experienced and grew up in an analog environment. We're now in a, mm. in a digital environment with AI, with stuff that they didn't grow up with. So who's best to be able to employ that stuff? And when I'm a leader and I'm giving direction and policy and, um, and ideas and plans of how to do it, that person should be able to turn mm. around to me and say, yeah, but technically you're not up to it. You know, you're, you're okay as a leader, but you're technically you haven't got the skills. So I think we should embrace it even more now because of the complexity of our, our working environment. And maybe this this difference in generations, and I'm going to use the age and generation piece, there is a difference. I was brought up in a certain environment, and people who are much younger and much more capable it should be able to say to me, technically, boss, you're not up to it. Um, okay, brilliant. I'll try and bone up in it, or I'll use you to do it. Um, so I think 360 degree, absolutely. Have I done it? Yes, I have. Uh, what tips? I think they're more organisational and individual, and it's really embed that behaviour that this isn't threatening. This is about us all improving mm. and seeing who, who, how we can take ourselves forward as an organisation. If I could, it was, um, sorry, sorry, Jonathan. No, you, you go. I just want to add it to what you're saying after you finished. Yeah, I can't remember which. Um, I think it was John Lewis who. I may be wrong, but John Lewis had mentors for their C-suite before people started talking about 360 degree for this very reason. So you could be back in touch with what was going on in the organization. Yeah. And building on that, a really good 360 degree process is maybe you get phone interviews with about 10 people. You also get about 20 people doing an online 360 about their leadership strengths, what situations bring out the best of them, the leadership development area situations that bring out the worst in them and anything else. 
And then the leader chooses the two behaviors that they're going to work on. And they choose eight people who are going to give them feedback and feed forward month on month over the year. And these are people who are going to see them all the time. And so it's not them and the coach. It's actually eight people are giving them practical feedback. What's, don't be a critic, a cynic, or a judge, but feedback on the last 30 days and feed forward tips. I want to be better at listening, let's say, and I want to be better at holding people to account. What could I do? Well, tell you what, boss, have you thought about doing this? Or tell you what, Gary, have you thought about, I noticed in the meeting, do more of this. Thank you very much. You make a note of that. Yeah. That's what you start working on. Um, it was lovely seeing Catherine Bordino, who I know well, talking about humor. And she said uh, she's used humor. She's been in some very interesting uh, roles. She's used humor as a way of diffusing or otherwise an otherwise tense situation. And also, I'm delighted to see Matthew Burrows. Come on, let's bring on Matthew. Um, what, what, here, how about that one? This is a good one for you, Gary. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I don't, there's Matt or Matthew, but let, let's go with Matthew. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. We, you know. In our environment, well, I said I'm working in an education environment where you look for, you have a group of, say, 12 or 14 people. Body language and nuanced emotional signals are hugely important in trying to assess what's going on. Um, and actually, in many respects, it's, you know, the, the people around who are listening, whose eyes are suddenly rolling or they're leaning forward because they're totally engaged in something. I think you're absolutely right, Matthew. I think there's... It's something that we mustn't allow to disappear as we move into the virtual space. And we need to work out how we get get this um, this requirement or this this sort of attribute of leadership on the table. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure how to do it, um, but I think I absolutely agree with the uh, implicit comment in your in your question is it's hugely important. Um, you know, we have a whole industry on body language, don't we? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in fact, building on that, Gary, one, one of the leaders I'm working with, he said, um, he, like Matt Burroughs was saying, he, he would rely on that in all the meetings. And he's not very good auditory. And he's, he said he's, he's almost like developing his emotional intelligence during this last three months. He's learned to listen to what's not said and what is said and what's yeah. missing and trying to watch for micro cues in the eyes and the face and on a thing is quite hard which is why you need a yeah. really good big screen um yeah. the bigger the better it's almost like we're going to get an industry where we're going to need really really big stuff and and small laptops aren't aren't good enough these days for that yeah and i think you know as we're sitting here i'm trying to look in your eyes and ben's eyes um for no other reason than to engage with you please please accept that but um you know, it's difficult because you're flicking around a, a, a flat 2d screen and as matthew said are you if you're in a, if we're in a room now where we had say a hundred people or so that are listening in an auditorium, you'd spot who's fallen asleep because you're being boring. But equally, <laughs> you know, if you're bouncing around the stage and you're, you can grab people and you can have their attention. I've watched fantastic lecturers who are standing one meter in front of the front row and people really gripping people in terms of their engagement. Difficult on a two D screen. Yeah, very mm. true. Just um, on on that whole feedback piece and and, and engaging that 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 um, uh, transfer of um, of critical feedback, it's a real skill I think to be to both give feedback and to take feedback, um, and and one that probably comes down to what you were talking about, Gary, earlier about breathing that 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 culture of trust 
that yeah. actually if i do give you my honest opinion about your performance in like how you're managing the team or whatever like that that it's not going to come back and bite me it's a really yeah. difficult thing to breed in in, in a business and, and, and uh, yeah. team yeah um i think uh, to me there's a couple of levels here one is that individual we're all individuals and some of us are thicker skinned mm. than others and and we're more prepared or others are less prepared to perhaps listen to to feedback but to me on that individual level if you if you're asking for feedback and you don't act on it you've, you're going to lose the trust within about 30 seconds um so if you're asked for feedback please act on it from an organizational perspective we uh, certainly in the military we we have a um, constructive challenge approach where, you know, we're not, this has not been radical um, anarchist by saying I'm going to just I'm never going to take any more orders anymore. But what we are saying is we expect people to challenge that if they don't understand mm. or they do not feel that things are in the right space or not being resourced, I expect people to challenge, and we we we're trying to inculcate that into the military at the moment. Um, from an organisation, got a really good comment about that here as well. He's uh, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Not being shy about turning an officer. How you how how you doing? It's it's, it's yeah. a great sort of thing to to breed in an organisation. Yeah, Don. I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. And, and do put up Matt Burroughs's comment response as well. It's very good, by the way, Ben. I love the way you got the the people's face <laughs> on, on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you're still awake, Matthew. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> just, while we're on that point, while we wait for the next question coming yeah. in on um, Ben on what you're just saying about uh, trust and an environment where you can have feedback and feed forward, um, I think two mm. qualities, are, three qualities, perhaps, are required. One is um, courage. You've got to have the courage to ask for feedback and feed forward, to genuinely ask it and want it. And then the second one is the humility to listen to it and not destroy the person who gives it to you. Literally soak it up and take it in. Oh, God, that was hard. wasn't quite expecting that, but okay, that's good. And then the discipline to do something about it, make it a monthly routine that you go and you ask for two or three minutes, you ask for that feedback and feed forward. Yeah, I think Jonathan is great is because it sort of links into this business of am I a leader because I've got a badge or a position or a status or am I a leader because I continually seek to improve myself and the organization and those around me? Mm. And if if you can adopt that second point and, uh, you know, please take on board everything I'm saying here. I've made mistakes as we've gone along, but um, I think if you take that approach, then you stop getting into a position where you're getting fractious about the fact that somebody hasn't you know, seen your position. It's not about your position. It's about being an, improving the organization, improving yourself and improving others around you. Uh, it's so good. It's, it's like um, in this excellent book I'm reading, auditory, uh, audible book, um, Leadership is Language by David Marquet, the Admiral, who did tell yeah. around. Yeah. Which Brilliant. Like, yeah. uh, he yeah. said, have you got to prove or an improved mindset? Are you trying to prove you're right? Yeah, or have you got an improved mindset? You go, here's my hypothesis. Let's prove or disprove it. I'm just putting it out there. I'm not too attached to it. I think it's a good idea, but I'm, I'm interested. And let's review it tomorrow uh, and look at it in all the ways. And with that comes a, mm. a good or a get better mindset. Are you in a, yeah. I'm good and uh, nothing to do. I'm already perfect. Or are you get better? I'm constantly 
work in progress. I'm looking to get better. Does that resonate for you, Gary? Oh, absolutely. And I've watched David Marquez' intent video. In fact, we've used it in the academy to show the whole business about Mission Command. If anybody hasn't watched, it's worth it. It's about 11 minutes on YouTube. David Marquez' intent, absolutely stunning uh, piece. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I think that makes huge amount of sense mm. we're there to improve i think it's vital in this in this um environment as well with that with the, such a rapidly changing environment with um going into the crisis and coming out of the crisis you need to be able to to have the confidence in leadership to be able to change your mind so have those strong opinions loosely held as new information comes in you're going to have a, have to pivot um to, yeah. to be successful coming out of this yeah, I think we've got another yeah. couple of comments on here, which are, are, are pretty Matt's good. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, Matthew Burrow is there. Um, just looking at ways of building that social capital um, and to employ and develop trust and team spirit, particularly new colleagues, which I think is a really good point at the moment. Onboarding new colleagues into teams. Mm. How, how do you do that right now? Yeah, um, I mean, we're probably in a slightly different uh, position in that you know we're a we're a slow burn recruiting organization so our people are we know when people are coming into the organization but that said we still get people turning over and i think the important piece is as we've discussed before matt is that that business of be be hold all that nature of leadership absolutely fundamental in anything we do people want to trust you they want to be trusted and they're valued and that doesn't matter whether they're new or, or old. So I think those are the, the, the key things is uh, really, you know, accepting that those fundamental nature things. I'll go back to a uh, program that Jonathan was running. The One of the things that most of the leaders in there commented on was how important, influential and shaping their first leader was when they came into an industry or an organization and they were reaching back 30 and 40 years to pick that person. And I think it, it, it was a question I raised with Jonathan previously was how do we teach the onboarding leader how to onboard effectively? Because they are, they were all saying that impact, that shaping of them by that first really good leader was absolutely fundamental to them being good leaders themselves. But of course the converse is there. We don't hear about the poor people who had a bad leader when they started. Yeah. So how do we choose the right person to bring our new people on board? And I just want to call out Matt, actually, who's on there, who I know and respect a lot. Um, in an organization I, I connected up with him about two years ago, incredibly good at that social capital. It, clearly, he he's worked hard at it. He was, in his earlier life, he was a very good uh, officer in the army. But... Um, he was really good at making people feel welcome in the days when we could. We met socially. Uh, he was really interested. He asked questions. He genuinely was curious to learn about the person he was with. And that way, it made the other person feel really valued. And, and someone once said, you know, if you're in a conversation as a new leader trying to induct and build social capital, and you speak 20% and they speak 80%, they will find you fascinating. Um, yeah. Because you've, you've asked great questions about them and drawn them out. And I think the the ad, the addition to that, of course, and we probably everybody who's listened to this is of the same. Those simple words of thank you and saying how are you getting on today, and and making going out of your way to that new person and just saying, is everything okay? We all right? Happy days. Um, 
because they're on that that position of saying, am I meeting the standard? In their mind is, am I meeting the standard? Am I cutting it in this organization? And when you go around as somebody who's relatively senior, just to talk to them, to find out how they are, it removes that tension for them, I think. So, you know, as Jonathan said there, Matt, if, you, if you're that ill, to me, you're, you're the sort of person I'd be interested in, you know, meeting and talking to. And, and I think you're actually spot on. Yeah. No, one of the things um, which breeds um, some great social capital for, 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 for leaders psychologically within, within a team is actually a leader who's, who's happy to go and ask for help from his team. So that act of actually yeah. going to, to, to team yeah. members and asking for help with a, with a part of a mission or a project, it, it means that I as the leader trust you and, and there's a psychological effect to that that, 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 that it automatically mirrors that. Um, and uh, you trust me, I trust you, and I'm oh, pulling in the same yeah. direction. Ben, you are, you are so right, and Gary, I know he's got a, some good points, but I just again, um, this thing about flattening hierarchy, which is happening much more, to, to build um, or, or to reduce what um, people talk about, the power gradient. Flatten the hierarchy, uh, admit you don't know as a leader, this is again David Marquez talking about this, and be vulnerable as a leader, appropriately vulnerable as a leader, and leaders should trust first rather than people yeah. go, you can't bring on, you walk the gauntlet of my scorn, you know, bring it on. I, I, yeah. You have to impress me before I'll trust you. What would you think, Gary? It, mm. I, I think it's really interesting we, we open that question because, of course, if you think logically, why on earth would I not trust the, the, the computer-aided designer to do computer-aided design? I'm not a CAD operator. So, you know, from a start point, we, we, we should just accept that those people are capable of doing it. Uh, but we go down and try and check to see if they're doing it right. And, and that brings its own you know, tension to it. So I think if starting from that point of, hey, you're the person, you know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. So tell me how to do it. That has to be the way forward. And I think that's that business of we sort of touched on it before about Letting go of control, let people get on with their job. They don't want you to do their job for them. That's what they're paid for. Um, but they do want to be valued for contributing to the organization by doing that job. Yeah, very good. Absolutely. Another quick comment from, from, from Don. Thank you very much. Um, so just sort of really highlighting the things you're saying about about um, about leadership and 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 that that first experience of leaders can be really forming in, in, um, in, in something you remember for, for a long time. Mm. I think we've all probably experienced a, a, a great leader who has that ability to, to make you feel actually important in, no matter what position you're, you're in. Yeah. I think if I may, I think I'd add one other piece is that we have a, I, I may be wrong, maybe, um, highlighting my own sort of shortcomings here, but there is a propensity sometimes for people for leaders to tell people what they want. Well, how do I know what people want? It's not for me to say what a person wants. Um, it's for that person to find out what they want. Um, I'm trying to, there's a really interesting book, Poverty Safari by, I'm trying to think, Darren McGarvey. Um, and he talks about in the, I think it was 80s or 90s in Glasgow in Pollock, where the people had community environments and it's a really poor, rough, rough place, but they wanted community centers. They were built a motorway because the system felt that they needed access to the town center. No, they wanted a community center. You know, so we, we take this approach that I could, 
because I'm in these sort of senior positions, I know what people want. No, find out what people want. They know what they want. Go and talk to them. Ask them about it. Mm. Good point. Another question from the from the stream um, from from Chris. So um, it, his name's not coming up on on this um, part, but this is um, Chris um, Adieri, who I work with. And um, just looking at the the current situation, the protests during to racial um, discrimination. How would you recommend current leaders manage the workforce and well being of ethnic minorities in the team? Yeah, it's a it's a really really important question. Uh, you know, I haven't got the answers to this. I think the bottom line to me is that it just just respect everybody and look after people and value everybody within the organisation. Um, but there are times we, we need to look at how we encourage. See, diversity is a really important thing, and if we haven't got it, then encourage it. I mean, people talk about positive discrimination. I don't think that is that term. It's look at how you're letting your organisation down and letting people down by not letting them in to engage with stuff. And it may be your processes, it may be your behaviours, it may be just you know ingrained in a system that's been there for so long. But really look inside and think, what am I doing that prevents somebody being able to contribute to their fullest extent in the organisation? And I think if I digress, Chris, is a little bit on um, my other view that I've got one brain and I work about 10 hours a day, if that. Other people will, will now say, no, you don't. You work about four hours a day. But let's say I work about 10 hours a day. Um, so I've got 10 hours of production and I've done 40 years. I've got about 40 years of experience. So you multiply 10 hours by 40 years and, you know, you've got a fair degree, but it's only one set of experience. It was one 40 years of experience. If I listen to what, whoever's on here, let's say there's 60 people on here, that's 60 people working 10 hours a day. That's 600 hours of effort going towards solving something. And those 60 people come with 60 different experiences. So we've now got 36,000, I think, would work out to, if you multiply by 10 hours, 36,000 strands of experience and difference and diversity that must come up with a better solution than me as one person at the top of an organisation. Then you wrap in, you know, however, let's say everybody's had 20 years of experience, 20 times, 120 years of depth to it. Why on earth will we not try and allow that to come to the fore in our decision making, the way we do things? It would be a much more vibrant environment, much more colourful, much richer. Uh, Chris, I sort of lifted that into a higher level. and I do apologise but because um, I don't have the answer, but I do acknowledge what, the question. What about you, Ben? What, I think I think, um, well, pretty, pretty I think it's something that we're talking about um, in our business a lot, and and I think that one of the most important things here is 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 a real open dialogue and, and an ability for for leaders to not shy away from what's happening and ha have an honest conversation, reach out to the people in their team because there's, there's lots of people who who are going through. Um, a lot of emotions and a lot of um, uh, quite hard uh, emotions and, and times that this this is um, bringing up, and I think it's really important not to shy away from it and, and reach out and, and and start a dialogue. In our team, we we have team meetings each week. We have a couple of catch ups, and it's something that we've all um, spoken about. And Chris has spoken about act actively, and and it's about educating and and making sure that you're educating yourself as well to understand other people's um experiences and points points of view and i, I think it's massively important for for leaders to to, to lead lead the way in in, in this i think you're so right ben and if i could build on it um 
my wife Lee runs a charity at the Inspire Leadership Trust for vulnerable young girls. And they're from all different backgrounds, ethnicity. And uh, some of it's in Kenya, some of it's in South Africa, some of it's in London, uh, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham. Uh, and people who work with charity and uh, Catherine Bordino, who's on there uh, and saying Plato said it, uh, I know, I do not know. I know a lot about this not knowing. Um, it, it's that we don't know enough about other people who are different from us. And we've actually got to not be arrogant and think they want to be treated the same way as we do. We've got to understand how do they want to be treated. And everybody is very different. And we don't want all of the, the same kind of thinking with the same kind of people from the same kind of backgrounds. We need as much diversity of thinking, of background, yeah. of, of a whole variety of stuff. So inclusion is such an important one. So it, this is a big area, and we're going to have to do much more about it. Um, I think Chris and Chris. Thanks for, thanks for putting it yeah, on there. Thanks, great. Chris. Matt's got another one down there. Do you want to grab that one, Ben, and talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so yeah, I think um, get, um, Matt's going back to the question he asked earlier, and and, and it's looking at um, yeah. the distance and separation that he's that's making it sort of challenging um, in, in in leadership, and yeah. um, his concern is more newer into the workforce in general might miss the vital building blocks. Yeah, I think Matt, my the, the approach I tend to take is make make the time to go and just do a virtual one to one connection with them, uh, and you make the effort so that they feel that you're absolutely interested in them. If, if you can't bring them into it, um, into the office or wherever, um, just connect with them um, and just say, just, hey, just chat and find out how the weekend was, how to, and, and not necessarily talk about work, but talk about them, listen to their experiences. So, um, and we've sort of touched on that. But it's a bit like that thank you when, when somebody distant in the organisation seeks you out to thank you has such an effect. So you you seek seeking the person out just to have a one to one chat with them about them, not about us and the work. Um, I think that to me is really important as we go through this this space. Yeah, and and um, building on what Matt was asking about and what you said, uh, uh, interesting Ben, in, in your experience in LinkedIn, you, you're very good at drawing people in and also getting the um, the personal side to things. But I often begin a virtual meeting with around around that table that virtual table that i showed you before with who'd like to begin and we'll go to their right what, what's been working well in your personal life and in your work you know a minute each and it's amazing i mean i had one virtual uh meeting people were all over africa they were different african countries it was a, a very interesting uh, multicultural group and, and it was just such a bond between people in different countries from Kenya to Nigeria to South Africa, um, other people, um, where were these, um, Zimbabwe, uh, you know, and, and they were just talking about their life and their family, what was going on. And I think what's also been quite nice to, to socialize people and connect them is like, you might see my mother-in-law wander in who's got Alzheimer's and, and she'll just halfway through things, she'll just join the call and, and, and bring me a carrot or something. I was, okay, yeah, that's, well, that's interesting, thank you. And, and small kids running in or dogs jumping up and you go, oh, tell me a bit about your dog or what's going on. Or I see a painting behind you, what's that? Oh, it's something I did myself, oh, you do artwork. I mean, it, there's just so many opportunities to, to break down the barrier of you're just a mask, you're not a human, there's, there's nothing behind you to, um, to uh, 
to, to show the humanity of people. Yeah. Yeah, we've definitely delved into a window into people's lives a little bit um, with these <laughs> things. So um, I think we've had some great questions. Thanks so much um, for, for Matt, Chris, um, Don, Catherine, um, uh, Angela. Fantastic questions. Really lovely to, to, to hear from you all. Um, and just quickly, just to wrap up the, the, the quickfire questions, just to, I'd love to know a piece of advice, especially in this sort of time of, of, of sort of economic um, hardship. What's a great piece of advice about money that you either get or give? Oh, always give to homeless people on the street and re work out what it, how much you need not how much you want but how much you need mm -hmm. and that that's your comfort yeah. spot nice Very and cool. is there a piece of wisdom that you strive to t to live your life by yes yeah, one i shared with my children um and i'll use the term you only cheat yourself and the bottom line particularly as a leader you know when you cut in corners you can feel it inside yourself you know when you're doing the wrong thing you can feel it um, and I'd, if I if I'm just very good, I've shared this one with Jonathan before. Um, you, you know when your children are growing up and you ask them if they've done their homework and they say yes, and you know patently it's obvious they haven't done their homework, but they've said yes. So I, I yeah. would say to them, well, you only cheat yourself, and they sort of stare at me, thinking, oh, that's fine, I got away with that. Um, <laughs> and then as time went on, one one of my children um, was working in the labs in Liverpool University and let's call him Simon. Simon was doing his experiments and he cut a corner on the experiment and Harriet leant across and go, Simon, you'll only cheat yourself. And she was telling me this. And she said, as I said it, I was trying to put the words back into my mouth, but my, uh, my, my supervisor heard it and said, Harriet, what a fantastic thing to say. And when she told me, of course, I was metaphorically punching the air, but I think it's, it, it, I think, I think it does. It, to me, it makes sense. It's, you know it you know when you cut in those corners so you can yeah. wrap words around it you can hide behind it but you know um so you only shoot yourself in the end so gary thank you very much indeed it was a great session we really appreciate it and you've had lovely feedback from people thanks jonathan thanks Brilliant. ben so now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that i've interviewed what are you going to do next if you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.